Welcome to Season 2 of the Revenue Marketing Report powered by CaliberMind. Our goal on the RMR is to help marketers move from subject matter experts to strategic business partners. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and I would like to introduce Mark Ostrander. Yeah. Mark? Hi, Kamala. Really nice to meet you. Thanks for having us here. Excited to be here. Thanks for coming on board, and I'm excited to hear more about you and talk about our topic. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to jump right into it. I would love just a really quick 20,000-foot view of your background yeah. and... Absolutely. Yeah. So I started, I joined the market in 2008, right, as the uh, financial crisis was coming in and uh, joined Forrester as an event sales rep, kind of SDR role, calling on event marketers, trying to get them to go to Orlando and Chicago to all these events uh, that they had budget cut for. So put my, uh, just jumped right into uh, kind of that (laughs) prospecting SDR and uh, really was able to work on my voice uh, as I was hitting a lot of voicemails back then. as there were a lot of people that, um, you know, were in a tough spot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember that time well because I was working for a B2B company that was selling to auto dealerships. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was tough. We had went from having full and overcapacity events sort of overnight to uh, dwindling. So I've, obviously things turned around quickly there, um, progressed through kind of sales development phases before taking on an enterprise new business role there and then came to Integrate about nine years ago and have been uh, with Integrate since. So started on the new business team here, um, brought on some wonderful customers, and about halfway through moved over to the customer expansion or account management team here. So very fortunate to be working with some of the top B2B marketers uh, in the space. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful, and very relevant to our topic. And it's it's something that's a pet peeve of mine, and I think it's yours too. It's why campaign goals are important. Yeah. And We like to say here that it's really important to nail the basics, and I think this is one that often gets skipped way too often. Have you seen that in the market as well? Yeah, we have. You know, it depends on the organization, sometimes the size of the organization and who's being who's driving the strategy, I'll say. Oftentimes, we'll sometimes speak with marketers who have a budget in place, who are looking to run a potential program. And as soon as we start uncovering the goals of the program, you can see that, you know, we might have the persona and the audience that we're looking to go after, but, you know, we don't know the measurement of what's going to be, you know, judged a success or a failure. And so sometimes, you know, we will see teams with really small budgets with, just incredible audience sizes that they're trying to go make an impact on. And sometimes you have to take a step back and say, you know, would it be potentially better to to take that smaller budget and put it towards a smaller list? Because, you know, sometimes, you know, 2,500, 3,500 accounts um, is a a really big audience that it's going to be hard to move the needle on. So um, just trying to identify that unit of measurement that's going to dictate to success for the marketer first try to be super wide, super broad, and and hope that something happens once it comes into the funnel. And that speaks to me on a very personal level because (laughs) I've had a really hard time getting sales teams to buy into that more targeted mindset. Like I totally 100% believe in it as a marketer. I think it's the best, most efficient way to use your spend. But a lot of sales teams still have that volume mentality where they think of, we need to start with this huge pool to get at-bats and then from at-bats, da-da-da-da-da. I know we didn't really talk about this ahead of time, so it's kind of a curveball, but how do you suggest approaching that conversation with a sales team that kind of has that mindset. Yeah, I think it depends on who you're speaking to. You know, if you talk to me while I was at Forrester and a sales rep, I would have preferred 100 leads a day because I yeah. needed to make 100 phone calls. 
and right mm -hmm. get all that outreach and those touches. Uh, so that was uh, probably something that I would be working towards. And, and if you're a marketer serving an SDR team, uh, sometimes it is you know, a measure of that conversation with the, the head of that team, whether they report into sales or marketing, is quantity better than quality? Because at this point in my career, I, I'd rather have one like decent qualified lead a week uh, than 100 leads a day, just from um, the idea that, you know, the intent is there, that maybe there's been engagement through some of the nurturing or uh, reaching out through some of the newsletters that the marketing team has put together through LinkedIn. So getting just one qualified lead a week, I would rather take that than have to sift through, you know, a lot of top of funnel, low touch leads. So that really gets into kind of what the conversation is of what happens when that data comes into the system, right? Is it immediately being passed to the SDR or is there some type of digital engagement that's taking place. 100%. And I think part of it too, when you're dealing with an SDR team, can speak to misalignment on KPIs. So when you're giving somebody a sheer volume metric, like those 100 calls per day, you're kind of setting yourself up for that battle between volume and targeting. Would you agree with I that? I absolutely would agree with it. And it really speaks to what's happened uh, with marketing ops and sales ops teams. There's uh, the term revenue marketing that everyone is sort of uh, talking about, uh, but there's also rev ops teams. So you had the marketing team right in 2008, 2010 that started buying Eloqua and Marketo and different uh, like Pardot and started nurturing and saying, oh, there's this beautiful cadences, serious decisions came out with this methodology of the waterfall and getting leads in the top, right? Yes. Of course. So uh, what's really kind of evolved since then is, and I think the, the pandemic was really a catalyst here, but uh, the emergence of sales teams having their own technologies like a sales loft yes. or an outreach. And they're saying, hey, Camilla, thanks so much on the marketing side. I appreciate what you guys are doing, but I'm gonna take over here and have our new sales cadence. And they were sort of competing in a way, right? This arms race of either uh, the sales tech and the marketing tech. And so you see that convergence now with the RevOps team to say, hey guys, you know, we're gonna have only one cadence out because a lot of conflicting messages going to the buyer uh, from the marketing team and then the sales team. So it really comes down to, you know, I think having the same goals and same alignment on how we're going to reach out and try to engage with that contact or that lead, if you will, um, you know, as they come into the internal text. Yeah. So many thoughts just popped into my <laughs> head. So first one is part of what's driving that are the privacy laws and marketing teams really being cobbled by um, some restrictions there. Now, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily because I think we abused what we had, but there are some loopholes that the sales team can use that marketers can't. So would you say where I've seen some success is partnering the marketing team with the sales team, reviewing cadences and acknowledging that let's say the marketer has 15 years of experience with email and understands that sales emails have to be structured differently in order to make an impact. Let's combine powers and and make sure that those outreach methods are being maximized. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I sometimes look at, you know, the, the lead as it comes in as, as the baton. Sometimes working with partners, you're at an event or LinkedIn and the contact comes over. And who's responsible for that, right? You try to put too many hands on it. So maybe it goes to the marketing team first. 
to to score, to qualify, to put some you know arbitrary numbers on it to say this is a persona of ours, it's a company that potentially is a fit, and now we're going to pass it over to sales. Versus marketing holding on to it, sales seeing it, and then you have that divide, right? So I think uh, just articulating and putting down to paper um, what the path is going to be for an individual, either at a new business account or at a customer account that you're trying to expand maybe into a new area, because uh, knowing knowing myself and the sales peers that I work with, sometimes you see the names come and you get very excited. You want to jump right in there and rip it from the marketer's cue and nurture steps. So, you know, sometimes I think there's definitely warrants kind of bypassing some of those processes, but other times you need to really trust the process, trust the system, understand that maybe they're not a qualified lead at this point, just learning to get a little bit more information and, and, and kind of just sit back. Yeah. And some of that is just patience on everybody's. Some people have to learn through failure <laughs> and that's just how it is sometimes. So let's take a bit of a step back. We were talking about common missteps we see when executing a campaign. And what's interesting is I think we've already touched on all of those points. But to summarize where you see a lot of companies making missteps, what are the top three factors you see over and over again? So I I really go back to starting uh, with the goal, starting with the end in mind. What's the goal of the campaign? What's the goal of the program? Um, is it a single channel campaign? Is it something you're just running in social? Is it obviously an event or a paid uh, type of syndication type program? And just trying to define how we're going to be measuring it. Uh, kind of goes back to the budget that you have, the audience that you're trying to serve to, and where the leads are going to be going. You know, if it's going to be going into a nurture queue, if it's going to be going to SDRs, uh, depending on where the leads are going to be initially scored and measured by, that really dictates, I think, the strategy um, that a team or a marketing team would want to put in place. As mentioned, we work with a lot of different teams, um, and it kind of maybe speaks to the second piece is uh, siloed. We'll work with a team that comes with the list or they have an audience that they want to start working with and engaging with. And there's so much work that's already be, being done by their peers, either in the digital side of the house or in the event side of the house with virtual events and things like that. And there's a lot of data that exists in terms of engagement of the account. So we talk to a lot of teams and there might be a thousand accounts and there's no way to segment that list in like a tiered ABC. But where accounts already interested in, whether it's um, you know an intent-based solution that you're implementing that you have that you're able to find that data on is there activity off of your website or engagement from other programs to maybe say let's start with these or let's definitely avoid these 200 accounts for certain reasons because you wouldn't want to include those in your campaign moving forward if a peer of yours has already uncovered that they're either out of market or not a good fit. So trying to maybe kind of ask that conversation before you get going, because a lot of the teams that we work with run campaigns on a quarterly or even sometimes a six-month basis, because there's so much work to set up and to launch and get going, which is totally fine. Um, I think that run rate, but the idea of being of setting it and forgetting it first coming in and kind of right like find out, do a quick test, see what see where you're making an impact, see where you're not, and then pivoting. That's really one of the biggest pieces that we'll talk to on teams is trying to put um, kind of those checks and balances in place to say, all right, let's stop, you know, six, uh, six weeks into the quarter, see how things are going, maybe check on the persona, make sure, you know, you guys have the right account list, maybe there's new content that's come into play, things of that nature. Yeah. And I think as marketers, um, we have so much data available to us that it's completely overwhelming. However, <laughs> If you're waiting until the end of the quarter to do a retrospective, you're not doing it right. I think 
there's no excuse for um, specialists in certain areas to not know which metrics they should be watching as a campaign goes out the door to make sure, you know, they could see that something's not performing well. Let's say we're talking about email. Open rate is abysmal. Immediately, we understand, oh, we need to adjust the subject line. You don't want to wait until the end of the campaign to figure out that one of your first attempts, first channels that you're reaching out with isn't working. So I I guess I just got on my soapbox a little bit there. No, but but you're speaking back to identifying the metric of measurement and monitoring it and checking in on it on a frequent basis, whether that's, you know, every two weeks or you have to pick the cadence that works right because, you know, it's something, it's not a B to C environment where you'll have so much data and trends, you know, on a 24 hour clip that you're able to go day to day. Um, maybe if your organization has a shorter um, sales cycle, you could see something like that. But for a lot of teams here, you know, you want to identify what that cadence is to come in and check on the data. Uh, but the idea that you're putting all this work in and effort and it's just going to run successfully for six months. When it does, everyone looks like a hero. The last time, the last thing you ever want to do is get to the point where you're halfway through exhausted either budget or efforts or database and say, oh my gosh, you know, we need to make a crucial pivot. Um, So identifying what that unit of measurement is and then following that really quickly, I think allows teams to then put a pause in place and adjust. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I'm trying to hammer home is that you can't just choose one metric for the entire campaign. As you've got different channels and different components, you need different measures. And I would advocate for checking at least weekly because you, there's this concept of diminishing returns, particularly in advertising. And sometimes you need to rotate out the copies. Sometimes you need to rotate out the visuals. Sometimes you need to change messaging altogether because it's no longer relevant. These are things you have to stay on top of as it's happening. Yeah, you're, you're so right about that, Camilla. And one of the pieces um, in terms of the measurement component is those early indicators, right? Because ultimately we want, as marketers, they want to have an impact on pipeline. They want to have an impact on revenue. And it's you know, what are the signals that could potentially lead to that? Uh, we work with a lot of different teams that look um, to say, hey, this campaign, we're 60 days in, we haven't seen any impact. It's a pipeline until you understand more about the buying process, uh, where certain companies are, how long it takes, uh, shifts, you know, where you know, people buy services or a product potentially, you know, two, three years at a time and understanding when the wins come in, they come in big. So, right, like waiting for that pipeline 60 days in isn't potentially the right signal where someone with that smaller life sales cycle, you know, might have that impact already. So, you know, go back to like the old MQL or AQL or SQL that you have, but it's that engagement potentially with that contact once you start engaging it, kind of once the lead comes into your system, once you're you know, emailing it, it's like, oh my gosh, this is a great signal. Let's now see that as a win and let's go back and look at the measurements there. But it's this balance, I guess, because sometimes marketers get stuck generating all these MQLs waiting for the impact on revenue. And sometimes, you know, you know it's going to come until it doesn't, right? So it's a balance of, to your point, having uh, different indicators within each stage and monitoring those along the process. Yeah, and that's where advanced analytics come in really handy, too, is to make sure that the content is re- it's registering with the right audience. So let's say I'm selling to B2B marketers and I have a bunch of construction contractors going to my website. That's a problem. It is. It is. <laughs> so, but I love that point because revenue and pipeline in B2B can take a really long time. 
And setting that as the ultimate goal for the campaign and not looking at other indicators, like you mentioned, exactly spot on, you're going to be waiting a long time to see whether or not it's working. Yeah, and I think everyone's moved to this ABM model too, right? So the AQL and the MQL has really changed in terms of being able to go out and get names. A lot of the teams that we work with, you can try to get a balance of coverage to accounts, whether they're running display to them or whether they're running paid efforts or LinkedIn, right? So I think the, the measurements that we had that we used has really kind of changed and it's now more of like an account qualified lead as you're trying to build out the buying committee uh, of an organization where either you don't have a product in and it's a new business play and going back to like that's a totally different strategy tactic generating awareness they don't know who you are for someone who already maybe has one of your products and you're trying to upsell or cross sell to another area. So you know because you have the account and maybe a totally different buying team or persona internally. So it being able to decipher, you know, which ICP for each of those components and then having those early stage indicators, it gets more complex, but you can kind of see how the, um, the workflow is for whether you're targeting that new business list or some, a list of customers where you're trying to land and expand. Totally agree. So <laughs> when it comes to ABM, so let's back up a little bit and talk about how how we get to that target list. So I, well, I I'm a sales past, rep. I send over the list of the accounts that I want and the marketers go get leads. Isn't that how <laughs> this all started? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so I'm having flashbacks and the reason why I'm laughing is I went to a sales leader and I said, Hey, I just I need to know like for each territory, what are the ten accounts they want to win this year? Let's just start that. That doesn't work because then I get back, well, why don't we start with these 3,000 every time? So how do you recommend thinking through ABM targets? That's a really big question. I know. I, think I know. I'm it sorry. It kind of goes back <laughs> to the new business and then expansion piece because I know that there are a lot of marketers that are tasked supporting a team that's trying to be new logo specific. And then there's teams where there's the upsell, cross-sell. So that's... You know, I'd say a little bit different, but um, let's take the new business piece um, in general. So if you're starting with sales leaders, I, it goes back to aim small, miss small. So rather than ask them which 10 accounts and you get that 10,000, what's your budget going to be for that? You know, what's your, were you really trying to make an impact? With so many accounts, I, I think maybe maybe taking one or two from each rep and trying to move the needle and show either whether that's awareness and familiarity, driving people back to your site, whether it's through LinkedIn ads or LinkedIn lead gen forms or virtual events and things of that nature. But there are a lot of different paid ways to go out and get those people to kind of come through. But at the end of the day, you know, you have to tear out that list of, of accounts. And what are you doing to tear it out? Is it by fit? Is there a system or a platform that you market with? Do you have content that aligns really well to a particular industry within those set of accounts that works well? Because your best piece of content is something that you're going to be leading with. So maybe look to that, to what speaks to it. Is it a case study with a certain set of customers, right? Like low-hanging fruit here is some of the things that we'll try to advise on teams because it can be really daunting when you have a really big list. And even if you have a decent budget, it's going to be spread so thin. You, you need to know how you're going to be measured by success. Aim really small. And then, you know, as we just talked about, be ready to, to make a pivot and make an adjustment. Or when you see success, you can dial it up a little bit. And I feel so fortunate because we have a really complex but fruitful tech stack where we're integrating intent signals. Uh, we've got a web tracker. We've got all of these pieces that can really help us identify 
I think you want to you want to find your ICP. You need to do research into who you've won with, who you've won with recently, because that can change with the specific product that you're marketing. And then look at all of these signals to identify who's already kind of nibbling at the hook because you're going to have such an easier time for people who already accept that they have a problem that they're trying to solve. And then it just makes communication so much easier. Yeah, you're speaking, Camilla, you're speaking a lot to the timing component. And that's really hard for a new business team to understand if they're not already in dialogue with the organization to where they are, because most of the solutions are going to be serving a team that's making some types of, of transformation or some types of shift, right? You're trying to win that budget. So until you know where that team is at, it's, it's really tough. That's when it's much more advantageous to be working with a team that's trying to upsell or cross-sell to an existing customer. You maybe know, um, you know, are they uh, an early mover in terms of moving to technology and are going to be really quick? Are they laggards? They have old technologies, uh, old methodologies that they're using, right? And so how to then combine content and timing to kind of bring them along that evaluation point. But yeah, much easier when you kind of have the pulse or the personality or culture of a team and how they buy to be able to know how things are going to move to strategize and prioritize certain accounts. Because I'll say to teams, there are certain teams that you know we try to sell to and work to, and they've, they've had success for a long time, certain ways, and it's they're not going to move. And then you have other marketers that I would imagine are the type of person who are buying the new uh, iPhone or the new, right? It's as soon as it comes out, they're early movers, they're jumping on the next piece of technology. So you have to be ready for those. So you kind of serve and target and market, you know, those customers and expansion style differently because, you know, they have a different way of buying. So once you're able to kind of identify that, you're able to then use that to your advantage as you're marketing and pushing content and, and your brand to them. Mark, I'm nodding so much. My head's going to start rattling. <laughs> spot on. Spot on. I love yeah. it. So those of you who are selling to B2B tech companies, G2 huge. They have intense signals that you can integrate with Salesforce as an installed package. When people are searching for your product family, that's a great sign that they have some sort of initiative or incentive to possibly make a change. That's going to be a much easier target than just doing a built with query to see if they have a certain technology and cold prospecting. Yep. And that goes back, Camilla, too, to the, you know, would I rather have one lead from G2 on someone who's, you know, the search queue there and how, you know, it's organic, you know, it, it's, it's such heavy, high intent in terms of a signal first, you know, I was at the B2BMX show this week, first getting a list of people that came by, you know, we didn't have too much swag, but you know, leads from events sometimes are, are very engaged based on the conversation or not at all. So being able to kind of pick and choose um, what those are, but yeah, definitely agree with G2. It's a little scary being on the vendor side to kind of start like peeking behind the curtain and see how some of the reviews there. So integrates done really well with G2, which has been nice, but you know, there's no, yeah. holes, there's no holes bars there. So people are very honest. And so it's, it's great to see you know, when you're reviewed favorably, you know, that things are hopefully uh, yeah. going to go quite well once, once a brand is, pops up there. Yes. We feel very fortunate as well, because every time you see that new review come in, you're like, Oh, Oh, yeah. yay. Yeah. I don't know why we're all like so conditioned to think worst, but uh, worst case scenario. But yeah, it, uh, it's definitely a valuable channel, I think, in terms of what we've seen here. And uh, if someone's not uh, leveraging G2, it's definitely something I recommend checking out. We're using an engagement intent signal to, to define our narrow targets with this ABM approach. How do I sell this internally? How do I get buy-in from the sales team that this is the right approach? Or 
do I proceed and ask for forgiveness later? What have you seen work? Yeah, I think the idea is, you know, when you start with that list, you went to sales asking for 10 accounts, you got a thousand. There's going to be some level of frustration that more accounts aren't going to be a part of the campaign strategy, right? Yep. But there's a lot of data that speaks to, you know, what percent of companies are currently in market. And, and that just makes sense, right? Just like anyone's gone out and bought a car or bought a TV, like, you know, you don't see those commercials until you're in market for them then, and then you, you, you can't stop. So I think just understanding that the goal of leveraging intent and leveraging signals from G2 and other review sites like that is trying to identify and really reduce um, the, a number of accounts that are on the list with the idea that some are going to come in, some are going to come out, but the quality, and, and this is, you know, to each his own, right? Like you could sit with a strategy, but if it's not working, you can always pivot. That's the whole idea I think here is pivoting early and not committing too long. But the idea being like, we're going to see how this, this works with the intent leads, how that comes in. Um, there's, you know, a lot of data behind it and really, I don't want to say that it should convince the sales team, but, um, you know, those high engagement of the domain, um, on particular topics, you know, we've seen really big success with that. We use it all on a lot of the campaigns and programs and we have a lot of customers that bring in their own, um, intent, whether it be from Bombora or uh, another organization. And they start with that list of say, Hey, we have 20,000 accounts. I'm like, Oh my gosh, what are we going to do here? And they go, well, we only have 400 right now that are currently, you know, the ones that we're going to put within the campaign. So that's, that's a great example of being able to take what is that ICP audience and like, how do we get you know, to a smaller spot where we can see something that actually moves the needle? I love that. And it segues perfectly into the next point, which is we talked about this a bit, but what should we be measuring but beyond that, like I feel that if we can flag those accounts and watch them as marketers and look for successes, we can celebrate those successes early. And then that kind of proselytizes the whole program if you truly are having success. Yeah. Would you agree with I that? I do. Um, I think this is probably the most complicated component of it is, is defining that measurement and, and where we should be. Again, it goes back to what's the goal of the campaign and the program. And if you're, I, I hate to use the term, but some reporting to sales and being judged by sales, it's going to be, you know, the, what opportunity have you got? I mean, close one deal, right? Like it's, it's like, what's the, the super ready lead. So if that's the success, it's, it's just a really, really tough, tough role as a marketer because you have these accounts that a lot of conflicting pieces um, between the timing piece and competitors and market performance of the product or solution in general. Um, so it, it just really goes down to saying like, you know, as a marketer, you can generate a thousand leads that are all from intent signaled accounts and, then what, right? If you go through LinkedIn or you go through on-demand webinars or paid syndication, you can get those leads in. They're all going to AQL because they meet the ICP and the target accounts. It's like, well, then then what, right? So it's that more down funnel, like how do we get the, to move them along? And that's really, I think, where it gets difficult because depending on the cadence that you have and that relationship with sales, if everyone's kind of reaching after it and overwhelming it. Um, I think, you know, it's going to be a really tough go. But I think the teams that have a cohesive strategy with sales to um, whether it's through that nurture engagement that you potentially have set up or, hey, we're going to pass this one straight to you based on title, role and company, um, at least the sales rep will be like, this is great. This is the lead that I was looking for or the person that I was looking for that are part of the buying committee. Uh, so I think you can have a win in that point and just getting those discussions and trying to, to have that, that's, that's a success. 
you know, understanding that not every lead that's going to come in is going to equate to a close one deal, but it's those at-bats that you're trying to set up, those discussions that you're trying to set up. So getting them over to sales is usually what's most important, but, you know, we don't want to just pat ourselves on the back sometimes for getting all these leads in from the accounts. It's then also getting them through that process over, over to them for that discussion. Yeah, and I would counter that with, I totally agree, we don't want to be celebrating the wrong thing and being completely out of alignment with sales expectations when we celebrate something. But I think we're also not used to flexing that muscle when we should celebrate it and socialize it. So we have a great first meeting, the opportunity is progressing. That might be a good time to tell people that it looks like this is working. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, it absolutely is. It's a great time to, to, to celebrate that. And, you know, looking back at the different relationships I've had here at Integrate with our marketing team and even previously, um, I think, you know, just being on the same page, we keep going back to that, being able to celebrate that early is, is true is just terrific because I think sometimes there's this like over the fence mentality and, and you don't get the feedback and you're not able to celebrate it. And so I think sharing that success is, is really important. Oh, and that brings me to one of my other pet peeves, which is saying we deliver all these great leads, but sales never follows up on them. That is such a missed opportunity for talking to the sales team and seeing why those leads aren't working out. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, it is. I think depending on how you have reporting stood up internally, it can be, you know, what kind of lead was it, right? Um, what channel did it come from? What account was it in? Or is it a prioritized account? I think uh, as this SDR, I remember seeing where leads originated from, whether it was in the web form and the, you know, the cross your fingers for the contact us web lead. But then there's also the event, the webinar, the newsletter, LinkedIn, paid syndication, right? There's all these different avenues and like you're prioritizing your follow-up as, as an SDR in sales. And it's like, you know, you're looking for those high intent type leads. And so the, a lot, a lot of the times it goes back to the quality over the quantity and maybe Potentially, they're getting too many if they're not following up with them. I think there's an argument for that, right? Oh, yeah. And I've seen a ton of success looking at how each channel converts and then peeling back the ones that they're kind of scanning out anyway. Like content syndication is great. I'm not saying don't do it. But if your conversion rate's at around 1% and your sales team's ignoring them anyway, get them into a nurture program. Yeah, that's that's probably my biggest pet peeve. Here at Integrate, we, we automate a lot of channels um, connecting leads with our internal demand acceleration platform before they get into different marketing automation systems. And so that's really kind of the context to the discussion we have of where the lead's going because there are different channels that, again, should potentially bypass some of the marketing engagement and maybe even go straight into that sales outreach, whether it's a direct email or the sales cadence. Uh, so there are those high intense leads where you say, hey, you guys take this. And then there are other ones, to your point, syndication or low intent potential leads that you're going to send over to them and kind of confuse the queue of the SDR. And, and those those touches aren't ready. They're, they're definitely more low intent compared to like a G2 or LinkedIn or something off the website. So having them percolate through a nurture, get to certain scores, thresholds and engagement and then go up. Um, that's where we see a lot of success within that particular channel here, but definitely have conversations with marketers all the time that are going to take the leads, you know, one touch and send them straight over to the sales and, and know that that's, that's, that's a tough one. I think that really speaks to how they're being measured to the marketing team specifically. So if they have an MQL goal, that might encourage the wrong behaviors. 
I think it's also really important to read the room. So if you're at a really small company that's just starting up, you don't have a lot of leads and the sales team is like, just give me whatever comes in and I will chase it down. Maybe it's not the right time to gate stuff. So read the room. Yeah, definitely on the gated piece. I, I see that as a, a, a big reason. And we work with a lot of campaigns um, that are on companies' websites, right? And you talk about having data that's gated and not. And then you go out to the partner world. And uh, a lot of ways for them to get credit is to, to gate it, to go through that process of, right, we'll hold it. We're holding your email hostage, right? We've got the content or we've got the brief or the case study, the analyst report. And we, we need your email. We need your consent and opt-in. So uh, there's a lot of abandonment there, too. So on your website, totally ungated. Let everyone take it. But understand that the partners, you know, kind of have that process and trying to confirm consent and engagement there. They have to do it that way. But yes, a whole other episode. We could, we could talk about that one forever. (laughs) Mark, thank you so much for coming. This has been a great conversation. Where can people find you online to network? Um, Well, I'm on LinkedIn um, and over here at Integrate. So um, in the office today to take this, but um, typically just working out of the home office as most of us have been. So I'm based in Boston, and uh, we've got a great um, community here in our office, but uh, probably going to just be hanging out on LinkedIn and uh, hopefully at a couple more events as they pop up here in the Boston area. Again, was at B2BMX this past week, saw a lot of folks, but um, excited to touch base with people as this world slowly opens up. Wonderful, wonderful. And for those of you listening to the podcast, if you enjoyed it, tell a couple of friends, subscribe, rate. It really does make a difference. And for those of you looking for more content like this, check out calibermind.com.